podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or haven't hunted or haven't hunted much. Want to learn. Or want to learn. To feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you, you, you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Welcome back to the new Venivores podcast, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or haven't hunted much or want to hunt, uh, and it's about fishing too. Um, Funny every time. So here we are, coming back at you from America's Brad Basket, the heartland, somewhere deep in a bunker in North Dakota. Uh, I think it's the, other than Wyoming, the least or the most sparsely populated state in the lower 48, last I heard. But that's neither here nor there. I'm Tony Martinson. And uh, with you here with... Adam Miller. And our esteemed engineer. Roscoe Dangerous Danger. <laughs> Dangerous is my middle name. Um, so, thanks for joining us again. We're coming back with more information for people that are looking, that are interested in hunting, fishing, and outdoorsmanship. And don't know where to start, need some assistance and guidance, and we're here to help with that, and uh, to put our experiences out into the world to help people avoid some of the pitfalls that may come along with getting started in this. So we've discussed previously who we are, what we're about, what our intentions are with this podcast, and why hunt, at, uh, why we do and why other people do, and some, uh, some points around that and thoughts about that. And we probably didn't even come close to scratching the surface on like all the different reasons oh. why people hunt, but of we, if we not. discuss that every time, we wouldn't get anywhere. Right. So you kind of need to make that decision for yourself, and then right. you know we'll help you out from there. It would get boring fast, and we can spin and pontificate for the rest of our lives about this. So mm-hmm. uh, moving on. Okay, we got your attention. I'm with you, Tony. I'm with you, Miller. I think this is a great idea for all the reasons you said. What do I do now? <laughs> and so that's what we're going to do today. You want to hunt? You're new to it? Maybe you didn't grow up hunting. Maybe you did, but it's been a long time. So where do you get started? What do you need to know? And how do you move forward from here? Yeah. So, so where do I start? The very first thing is, uh, you know, congratulate you on making that decision. Yeah, golf clap. Golf so, clap. Jazz clap. Um, you know, obviously the very first thing you'd have to discuss with is how to comply with the law. Right. And uh, one, and it is amazing, you know, you would not think it, just how much law and regulation goes into hunting and fishing. And it varies state by state. There's federal laws to comply with. Right. And uh, it is your responsibility to understand them. And uh, it gets people every year... Um, that had to be out of compliance, you know, yeah. and, and didn't even, without malintent, without anything, they maybe just didn't know. Something changed that year. Ignorance. And they changed all, they changed all the time. 
Right. And things that strike me, like North Dakota, where I'm from, my hunting regulations for like deer hunting are a three-sided, like three-page pamphlet. Mm-hmm. In Minnesota, it's a little book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I make a habit out of that. I'm from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I make a habit every year mm-hmm. when the new regs come out for this year. Stop by my fleet mm-hmm. farm and I get all of them. I get the fishing one, I get the hunting one, and there are supplementals sometimes too, like mm-hmm. for landowners that want to get involved in programs to open their mm-hmm. land for hunters. There's The state gives out maps in the state of Minnesota that are recent for that year for people mm-hmm. for that public land, all that stuff. So, okay, you want to hunt? So, if you're going to do it, be compliant, as we've harped on before. So that's where right. we're going to start, at least right now. Right. So, and I don't want that to intimidate you. There is 15 million hunters in the United States, and it's perfectly possible to be compliant. So don't let that intimidate you that there's all this information you need to absorb. You know, you can start small with very simple things, and, it, you know, you're not going to get overwhelmed. And we can and will do mm-hmm entire podcasts about navigating regulations, mm-hmm. the nuances and ins and outs, what have yous of regulations by area, but this is a getting started. Right. So in virtually every state, um, it is required for you once you're born after a certain day, and for North Dakota, I think it's December 31st, 1961, that you have to get a hunter's safety roughly around that area right. for most states that I've looked at. Right. Um, and there is recipro- reciprocity with that, with I think on pretty much every state. So if you take one in Minnesota, right. that is good for you in North Dakota and right. virtually every other state. So coming at it from the perspective of an adult thinking rationally and coming to this later in life or back to this later in life, why 1961? I have like, no idea. Why is that? You know, that's, that strikes me as weird while we're sitting here. Is it because there's the thinking on that is people that are what now in their 60s and 70s? If <laughs> math is hard, leave me alone. But people that are like, was there a culture when they learned to hunt that was more inclusive of uh, uh, gun safety and hunter common sense safety that they don't need? Or is it? Like, why, why is there that? I'm not certain, because it's not, like, a floating date. Like, right. it's a it's once a hard s- date. It's a hard date. So everyone after this date needs to have it. Everyone before this date, you don't. So it's not, like, an age thing. Like, once you're... If you want to start hunting at age 70, you know, if you're yeah. still... I haven't done the math, but, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, you'd still have to take hunter safety. Right. So... Or if... It feels like... Sorry, but it feels to me like one of those things where they decided to make hunter safety mm-hmm. a legal regulation. And at some point they're like, okay, at this day in 1980, whatever, mm-hmm. if you've been hunting for 20 years already, we're pretty sure you got this. And mm-hmm. they got to draw a line in the sand legally at some point, And that's just what it is now. And eventually people will age out. It feels like a grandfathered in legislative mm-hmm. thing to me. Probably. But I mean, it, what they probably set the day is they probably realized they're like, okay, Whenever it happened, they're like, anybody older than this is probably going to tell us to piss off. <laughs> These old duffers are so yeah, cranky anyway. They're yeah, going to tell and us just to piss not off. Gonna, they're just not going to go. But I bet they they'll know take what they're their talking kids. About. That's right. That's right. And we should get them. And eventually they'll age out. That's what it feels like to me. So that's probably what happened. Anybody uh, who's listening out there, we ask for your feedback to make us better at the end of every episode. So if you know, please enlighten us. That would be awesome. Thank you. Right. So...
Anyway, <laughs> sorry to derail your train of thought. All right. Hunter safety. So anyway, that's going to run you about 15 to $20, depending on the state. And that is good for your life. Like, that is a one-time thing. Once you're certified, right. you're certified. Once you're certified, you're certified. You'll be issued a number, and uh, you'll use that. You need that number to apply for licenses, tags, uh, what have you. So, so also, uh, when I was growing up here in North Dakota, uh, my I was in the Boy Scouts. That's where I learned a lot of my uh, bushcraft, if you will. Um, but my brother was not, and... As I've said before, I grew up hunting with my dad, mostly birds, some fishing. But to do that, my brother is older than me, and he, my dad wanted to get a gun in his hands as soon as he could to be out there, and I was too young. So my brother took hunter safety. I did not when I was here in North Dakota, but it was a class that you took. So my brother and my mom actually went together to a, I don't even know where they went, a place where they held the class. I'm sure it was a church or a or a state government building basement or something, or a YMCA room or something like that where they held this class. So most of these have an element of classroom training and then some practical training. Uh, depending on the mm-hmm. state, there's required practical training. Um, and so you can either find a time and a place, and this, again, will be on your state Department of Natural Resources, Fish and Game, Game and Fish, regulatory agency website for the most part they should have it where you can sign up for these classes and uh you can find a classroom session to go sit and commit the time a lot of times they have longer weekend sessions or uh a few hour blocks over more weeknight evenings depending on your schedule and then sometimes there's a field day involved in that sometimes it's they try and roll it in and make it as easy as they can but it's also something that you need to have a certain amount of engagement in and time spent and understanding to really get down to understanding the things that you need to know in order to be safe and smart out there. Um, right. So I'm, there is, and I, and I know there's options for doing exclusively online. I was going to say that, yeah. And I would encourage you to avoid that. I would, because right. I would go to the class... <laughs> And mm-hmm. that could honestly be your very first resource on even beyond the hunter safety port part of it is finding out a little bit about where to go right. and finding a teacher, someone that'll take you. You know, we meeting people in that class to go right. through first experiences with together. Mm-hmm. The teacher, if a guy's teaching or gal, a person is mm-hmm. teaching a hunter safety class in your state, they are that that precludes by default that they're interested in getting new people started Mm -hmm. and that they have at least some decent experience and passion and interest for getting people hunting and so they're a great place to start on journey the journey of learning how to do that Mm -hmm. and finding places and people to help you with that right so and because you know we understand that um getting into this could you know starting hunting specifically it can be intimidating as hell. Um, it can be. So, like, having a mentor in it, um, I would think that would be invaluable. It uh, is. Uh, so, it, I would highly encourage that uh, um, go to an actual class, uh, put your phone in your pocket, keep it there until the end of the thing when maybe you can get somebody's phone number, you can give them a line, and if you buy them coffee sometime, you'll kind of walk, yeah. you know, walk you through, uh, hey, I know this landowner's got 
you know, turkeys or white-tailed deer or right. what have you. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, very open to letting a new, new person come out. And so. that's a good place to come upon that with uh, probably a smaller level of resistance to that than you would if you were just standing around talking to some guys in some camo. Mm-hmm. Because there's, as we've touched on before, there's a bit of a secretive nature about in the oh, culture yeah. of hunters. So finding a place where you're openly learning and new, you're going to have a better instance of finding people that are willing to sit down with you and talk about where they go and people they know and taking you out. And I know a lot of hunters, most hunters I know, if you say, hey, I'm new to this and I've never done this and I want to, and I want to learn, can you show me? Do you have a place? Can we do this? Most are going to jump at the chance and go, oh, yeah, absolutely. We go here, uh, Old Man River down the road. He's got his spot, and there's a flock that is reliable there all the time. I'll take you out and show you. He's not going to give you his honey holes. The mm-hmm. student's not going to become the master. But the a place, a class like this where it's the intent is to get started, you're going to find more people that are more willing to help you out in that way oh yeah because you're all on an equal equal playing field i mean yeah and i and i know it might seem awkward if you're like 30s or 40s and you're in there raising with, my hand yeah you're Ross in there in a classroom hand. with a bunch of kids you my, know my brother you, was 11 when yeah he took it. most people take around the 11 12 years old mm-hmm. um but you know their their parents are going to be there too you know yeah. it's their they really encourage uh parental involvement in it so um, and honestly, it's usually like two evenings or, you yeah, know, or, maybe or a Saturday and yeah. a, a Saturday all day and a field day on Sunday, maybe. Yeah. So it's really not, you know, some life changing no. thing, like where you're going to have to like revolve your life around it. So, and hunting is going to be a humbling thing that teaches you humility in mm-hmm. myriad ways. So this is a good place to start practicing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and I actually am chuckling about saying, don't take it online and put down your phone. I literally took the class on my phone. <laughs> but because um, I grew up with my dad out and about hunting um, younger, right? And doing a lot of scouting. And a lot of times he had the gun because, you know, mm-hmm. I'd go see my dad and he'd have a license and we'd go walk stubble fields and shelter belts and... You go, all right, you boys go out there. You stand this far away. You stay in this line with me and keep walking. And if something gets up, take a step back. We do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he shot it, we'd run up and do the thing that you do and wring its neck and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you learn a lot doing that. But, um, you know, because we did that growing up, I was already very familiar with a lot of this stuff. So I didn't think it was entirely necessary to take that. Plus, you know, it's a time thing. So... All right, I'll forgive you. If you have the time, if you can make the time, do it. Right. If there is options out there to yeah. take it online. There is a virtual field day. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those online things where you have to spend a certain amount of time on every screen. You couldn't just click through it, right. which I really wanted to do. And it really took over more of my life while I was going through that than it would have to just sit down in a classroom. Right. And I would have gotten more out of a classroom, so... There's one of those things I was talking about that I did wrong that you can learn to do right. Yeah. If you, and if you're gonna be taking on hunting anyway, you're you're going to be carving out time. Yeah. So there learn is a, there is a time commitment. So you right. might as well start from the beginning. Right. So now once you have your hunter safety in, that is basically your barrier to entry. 
So that's the first thing you need th- to do. The very first thing you need to do. So and they go over lots of things: mm-hmm. firearms, their mm-hmm. types, right. general knowledge, how the general functionality, game identification, game identification. I mean, yeah, yeah the ba- uh, uh, wilderness survival, emergency preparedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in depth. Again, we could have an entire series of podcasts about mm-hmm. each one of those things specifically. But they go over those at a level where at least you can keep yourself informed and safe right. in your pursuits. So if you're not picking up on it already, that uh, a lot of uh, non-hunters, anti-hunters think that uh, hunting is this just no regulation whatsoever. Grab a gun, go out in the woods, shoot something. And there's so much more to it than that that you need to know to comply with the law. So what we you need next is... Generally speaking, like a uh, hunting license, that is kind of like a start. And that is generally called like a general license or something like that. Yeah. And it's like the first thing you need to like say, okay, you can go hunting and you can hunt these certain things. And to get this, and then there'll be tags issued mm-hmm. that you often need to apply for, but sometimes they're over the counter. And that is for a specific species. So, and now that license is going to, depending on the state, you know, oftentimes that's pretty reasonably priced. And all the time, if you're a resident, it's a uh, resident of the state you're hunting in, it's way cheaper than if you are a non-resident. Much, much better. Country. Like we've said before, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you want to get started, you don't need to decide that you want to go to the 40-mile caribou herd mm-hmm. and take something up there. You don't need to go get a giant moose out up in Canada. You don't need to go to Africa most if not all states in the union have healthy wild game populations that you can get started with in your own region and area and extremely cost-effectively for the most part Mm -hmm. in your own state right and uh start thinking local yeah quite frankly i mean opportunity abounds absolutely i mean there is it's uh, shocking there's way more white-tailed deer there is now than the time of European settlement in the United States. There's way more turkeys now than... Oh, yeah. There's, turkeys have been introduced yeah. in places. Turkeys are well outside of their yeah. native range in a lot yeah. of places. So, like, there it's is... one of the huge success models. Yeah. So, there is a lot, a lot of species that there's more game now than there basically ever has been. Some things are on a little bit of a bounce back. and that's, Talk about elk and stuff like that. Yeah. There. Well, a lot of them, and not all of them, clearly. You <laughs> right. Know, but some of the most popular species. Right. Like some deer most popular. is by far the most popular species oh. to hunt in America, and that's mm-hmm. for a reason, because there's a mm-hmm. lot of them. Right. And turkeys are getting a lot more popular because of the success of mm-hmm. the conservation efforts surrounding those. And mm-hmm. you can... Do it even if you live in a city. You don't have to get very far out of a city mm-hmm. to find those animal resources. And it might be a little bit more of a challenge to. You might compete for public land a little bit more, but even the competitive public land around cities have tag draw systems and lotteries for those areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, do your research. Find some. Find some people. Talk to some folks, and do your research, and you can find places even closer close-ish to cities that are not too far out of the way mm-hmm. and have reasonable success doing and it. have reasonable success absolutely all right so let's say you wanted to hunt deer in minnesota yeah um like me very easy tag to get and that'll run you 34 dollars. it's an over-the-counter tag in, in some areas in some areas now we got to get into the weeds just a little bit 
mm-hmm. on licensing. And depending on the species, for deer specifically, there's the states are broken up from what I've seen and where I've hunted into areas. Mm-hmm. Like numbered, lettered, the states do it in a different unit. ways. A unit. Mm-hmm. They're different areas based on the DNR research, field research, and uh, 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 segmentation of the population so that they can understand in this unit, mm-hmm. we believe there's a population of this many deer conservatively. Mm-hmm. And based on that, they have to get down to a unit area level to know how many tags or licenses for deer that they can safely and productively sell to be able to maintain a healthy herd population there. Right. So in Minnesota, there and to get a tag for those places, there's you can either do a lottery and different states do it differently, but you can pay sometimes pay a fee to apply for a tag and your name gets put into a lottery. That lottery then depending on I don't different states do it different ways but you could win the lottery and that and get your tag which is your mm-hmm. privilege to hunt in that area for whatever uh specifics of that animal there would be sex and species usually. sex species um and then a lot of states use lotteries or use a point system on their lottery so if you apply for the lottery and you don't draw a tag then you get varying levels of points mm-hmm. for that tag so Later, in the next seasons, if you apply again, the people with more points are more likely to win the lottery in that particular draw. And that is the state's attempt at making things fair right. to give people opportunity. Right. And so that, that's one way to do it, is mm-hmm. there are some lottery sections. And that's what I'm saying about a lot of... And that's why people get really excited about, I drew this tag this year, because there are some places that are highly sought after, mm-hmm. maybe more in... Uh, closer to urban areas like uh, I will say that I live in the Minneapolis St. Paul metro area and there are some places that are in some suburbs or surrounding smaller towns out there that are fairly well populated but have some pretty good deer hunting healthy populations in small unit areas that if there wasn't a lottery everybody in the world would descend upon that Mm -hmm. cares about hunting at all from that metro area so they have a lottery in those areas so, and that's why I hear people saying, oh, I caught the Camp Ripley lottery this year and I have a tag out there because it's pretty close. It's a, Camp Ripley is a National Guard, I think, or Army base that, Army base, I think. that has a good deer population and they have big bucks, big bucks and they run a lottery out there because if they didn't, then there would be thousands of people that are trying to, they wouldn't have big bucks, let's mm-hmm. say, because there'd be people that would hunt that like crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's an attempt at regulating that. So that's one way. There are other lots of other units mm-hmm. in lots of states for lots of species that are what they call over-the-counter tags. And that means you can walk up to anywhere that sells licenses and they'll say, okay, $36, please, if you're a resident. Mm-hmm. And they can confirm your residency with your driver's license or state-issued identification and your hunter safety number. That is, well, okay. So in North Dakota, you would have to apply first. Yeah. Right, there's a general one first. General yeah. application. Yeah. yeah, they go through that. And then there is sometimes where units have extra tags. Yeah. Where they didn't have enough applicants for that unit. And so right. there's tags there that are basically coming first come, first serve basis. Right. And um, recently, um, North Dakota um, has, we took a huge hit 
a few years ago in our deer population with a really hard winter, a couple hard winters in a row. Same with pheasant population in the last year. Yeah, so we went from like 100,000 deer tags being issued to about 45,000 deer tags issued. Shoot. And uh, it's made things tough, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, so there's a lot of people that have, you know, they're building points. They don't can't get a deer license or the unit they want. But then there's other units mm-hmm. where you can draw every year still, you know. Yeah. So, you know, those are the ones I usually focus on because I don't want to wait, you know, two, three, four, or five years right. to go. I want to go every year. Right. So, well, and that's a good know. tip, too, is you can sort of use these... Uh, availability of licensing as a way to gain more information about the area. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, there are units that you like that there are you can draw a tag every year. Um, that could mean there's enough wildlife there for the state game and fish agency to be comfortable with issuing that many tags. Mm-hmm. Or it could mean that those animals in that area are elusive enough that the state game and fish is confident that they can, they're going to have a low success rate on those tags and they're comfortable issuing more like with wolves, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there's any number of reasons they can say that it's a low access area. People have a hard time going or they don't. Low population area with a high animal population. So like people just can't get to it. You know, Mm -hmm. it might be remote. It might be, um, I mean, there's units even like for, you know, like, uh, for instance, Wyoming, Colorado, whatever, you know, then mm-hmm. like an elk tag, highly coveted elk tags, you know, there's some of those ones that you can get pretty much every year just because, like, all the, get. Yeah, all the animals are on private land. Yeah. And, you know, access is really, really tough. And, you know, you can get the tag, but then you can't find a place to hunt. Yeah. Or so for, like, that's, an ex- okay, yeah. So that's why it's important, you know, to kind of have an idea of where you want to go. You know, yeah. Bef- you know, before you even get into it, you know, because like, there's nothing worse than like, all right, I got this tag, and then like not being able to actually use it. Right. You know, that's like an Aston Martin sitting in your garage with no keys. <laughs> you know. Or like an extreme example, I think there are three units in Montana for bighorns that are open units. Yeah. There's sheep out there, and there are big Maybe. ones. <laughs> Maybe. And that's why it's open. Because yeah, you can go buy a tag. Good luck. Yeah, you, you, know, you take that risk. <laughs> so the the overarching point is the availability of these tags, depending on other factors at play, can give you a lot of clues into what the mm-hmm. status of that area or unit mm-hmm. would be. Yeah, so you know what we're trying to hammer home here is, is that opportunity abounds. Yes. But, you know, you need to know some nuances to have, like, you know, what the opportunity is and how to, you know successfully go about it right you know there's there is opportunity but you know you gotta do a little bit of homework to figure out how you are going to make the most of that opportunity and like some seasons Mm -hmm. are both lottery and over the counter Mm -hmm. depending on how well the lottery goes like in minnesota the spring turkey which is right now Mm -hmm. is they have a a season a b season a c season i think it goes to like e or f or something like that like five or six seasons yeah and they're a week or two long a piece the first few are lotteries, and depending on how those lotteries goes, the rest are over-the-counter tags. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting later into the season, um, depending on the weather that year, it might be uh, easier or harder, and turkeys may come around or not. But I'd like to raise a point here that many. Ross is trying to raise his hand in a room of three people. Hi, Ross. <laughs> Hi. I was just going to point out, I mean, 
you talk a lot about the where to hunt and all mm-hmm. the units mm-hmm. and everything, but like a do, does every state have like North Dakota does with like a plots map, like a place to go where if I'm oh. a novice hunter and I don't know where to go and I don't have a lot of, you know, I don't know a lot of people or can get mm-hmm. on some private right. land, like where's the best place to go to find land that is open that anyone can go to a lot of them do okay so what you know ross is referencing is a plots map and the plots program in north dakota and that stands for pub private land open to sportsmen it's a voluntary program that private landowners enroll they get paid per the acreage of good habit of actual habitat and they get paid a set rate for that and basically provide walk-in access you can't drive your truck in there but you can park in a certain area you can walk in and you can hunt other states, for instance, like Montana, has block management where you have to sign in and they get paid per the hunter. That actually acts as paid that from the state. Paid per from hunter? the state per hunter. So, a lot of states have programs like this. I know South Dakota does. Minnesota does. Mm-hmm. North Dakota does. Montana. You know, a lot of states have these. Now, the states will also put out these. It's usually a paper map, but sometimes mm-hmm. there's also either a PDF version or a web version that you get right on your phone. And it can tell it, and it'll also have, in addition to those private lands that are, you know, leased in a way from the state to provide access to hunters, it'll also have public lands that are open. Anything from Corps of Engineers land, Bureau of Reclamation, U.S. Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management. BLM land. People talk yeah. a lot about BLM yeah. land. So on and so forth. And it'll show forest. you. Yeah. National forest. Yeah. State forest. National state forest. forest. Yeah. And it'll show Grasslands. you how to access those lands. And those are open to absolutely everyone so long as you can legally access it. And, you you know, per state that varies. Right. You know, some states where you, like North Dakota has our section line law, basically, that a section line you can traverse at 66 feet on every section, you know, around the edge of each section, that you can walk on. He knew off the top of his head. Right. <laughs> Folks, so, if you haven't picked this up yet, I study these things. So, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but like I said, not every state is like that. There's some states where you simply cannot cross private land. You can't without permission. So you need to look into that for your state and where you are going to hunt. Right, and I think we're getting also to. Um, wait, 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 did that answer your question, Ross? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think this is one of the things that's intimidating about getting started is, okay, I want to get started. So what do I need to do? You need to buy a license, but you also need to know where you're going to go. And to know that, you need to know about the uh, availability of game in that area and whether you can do public land or private land, and you need to know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of a... All the points we're going to talk about work in conjunction with each other, and it's you kind of have to build this knowledge as you go, Mm -hmm. but to work through it systematically is what is I think the challenging part to folks because they don't really know like, okay, great. I want to buy a hunting license. Where do I need to go? Well, I don't know. Well, how do I figure that out? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know, you know, and just part of that, you have to kind of grab that particular bull by the horns at some point and take the responsibility to figure that out mm-hmm. for yourself. And that's part of the fun of this, I think. Right. And it's, it- with opportunity abound, resources abound. Absolutely. Um, I try to get to be on a first name basis with game and fish biologists. Yeah. Um, 
they often are the most helpful people you will find. You're like, hey, I'm kind of looking at this area. You know, I want to know what the elk population is in this area. And you, you know, and you'll email them, ask them about it, specific unit. You know, and they are usually a treasure chest of information. Um, they're usually really forthcoming. They want to help you. Right. And you know, it, I mean, this is information that's available to everyone. You know, not everyone takes advantage of it. Right. You know, but like, it's literally their job. It's literally their job to help you and to provide that service. And they like, don't just get this information for no reason. No. So. And they're proud of it because mm-hmm. they don't just get that information easily. No. It takes a lifetime of education and effort mm-hmm. to get the information that they're dying to share with you. I promise. Mm-hmm. Every time I've ever called a state game and fish agency, I get the impression that they're sitting in their office waiting for people to call yeah. and so that they can talk about this and hunting and things that they're passionate about and have made a career about with people instead of pushing papers around. You just made their day by right. asking. I've called you know? my example. We were talking about going spring turkey hunting in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I'm a Minnesota resident. I was on the North Dakota state game and fish website and the only tag I could apply for was antlered buck archery season. And I was like, well, what the hell's up with this? I called the number. I said, where can I apply? I'm a non-resident. Where can I apply for a spring turkey license in North Dakota? To the first person that answered the phone, they routed me to a guy that told me all about the legislative history of state turkey licenses in North Dakota, why I can't buy one as an out-of-state person, if I wanted to, where I could go, how much it's going to cost me. We had a like long and educational conversation mm-hmm. about spring turkey hunting in North Dakota because somebody was interested that he could sit and talk to. I talked to this like state biologist. And if I remember right, like you called him at like five minutes to close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on my on my commute home from my yeah from my desk job, and we talked for quite some time mm-hmm. about that because that's what he cares about, mm-hmm. and he's happy that other people do too. So, the the value of just straight up calling your state game management agency is very underappreciated. I think actually, right? And you might you know initially get like a canned answer, like you know me and Tony right now we're planning a bear hunting trip in the boundary waters next fall i didn't know a lot about it i call you know i dropped an email to the minnesota dnr they directed me to the bear biologist and i asked uh, some generic questions and he gave me a canned answer okay so i'm like well let's ask a little more specific on these questions as with any conversation though right if we're hanging out and i walk in and i say how was your day and you say good it's not going to go anywhere right you know you know so what i did is i offered him some information i said hey this is kind of the maps i'm looking at some information you know this is my plan what do you think about this plan you know and all of a sudden he's like that is a great plan let me tell you why you know he you know this is what we're seeing in this area he's you know. intimately familiar with the area yeah, he, you know and you know all of a sudden I'm like all right you know i mean i had some you know some knowledge going into it just on animal behavior and some knowledge of the area you know but getting that confirmation from the bear biologist from that specific region now i know that when i get there i'm ready to hit the ground running and there's a good chance i'm going to find bears absolutely 15 seconds or less answer how do you get the carcass of a bear out of the boundary waters? On my back and in a canoe. Okay, fair enough. Put it down, what, skin it out, what quarter it, it up, put it in a game bag, and paddle it out. What does a bear weigh? A big bear in that region can be maybe 200 pounds. 
You know, oh, okay. You Just know. curious. Sorry. And you get you have the added benefit of a canoe, so you don't have to walk it out on your back. Yeah. And it's not the biggest bear in the contiguous forty-eight, right. so you can really paddle I'm it out. Assuming black bear. Yes. yes. Oh. No, there might be some giants out there, but they're rare. That'll touch close to like five hundred live weight. I know some you know? places where they pulled some big yeah. black bear out of Minnesota. So this this is an endeavor. This is not this hunt that me and Tony are planning. This is not for the faint-hearted. This is so not excited. This is not for the rookie. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it more. I am a rookie. Prepare your food list a little better than last time. <laughs> yes, we will prepare our food list a little better than last time. Tony is not allowed to plan that part. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you, up for debate. You could go into the Boundary Waters for a week with nothing but water, and you would live. You would be fine. Just barely, though. You would be fine. <coughs> so that's you why he's not easy, allowed to. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, okay, so I, to stay on point, so I want to get started hunting. I have no idea what to do. What do I do? Well, take your hunter's safety. Or whatever the equivalent is in your state. Mm -hmm. Buy yourself a license. Right. Buying yourself a license is not as simple as buying yourself a license because of the things we've said. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to buy myself a license, but I have no idea what section to buy in, or what unit to buy in. How do I figure that out? Or at least where are some resources that I can go to, to start forming a picture of what I want to do with that and where I want to go. So... Talk to your, talk to your people in your class that you took for your hunter safety. They're mm-hmm. all going to be in the same boat. Go out for coffee or dinner or a beer, whatever, and chat about it. The value of a tabletop conversation about these things is not to be underestimated, especially with people that you already have a connection with in that way. Use your state's resources for those things, including... Mm-hmm. Plots maps, or even if there's not a plots program specifically that you outlined, most states will have, if not all, will have maps of who owns what areas and access. Engage your game and fish agency or wildlife management agency in your state. Specifically, the, the, the species and animal that you want to hunt and get after. And beyond that, uh, like new hunter introduction programs that most if not all states will offer will also help you very much in learning how to figure these things out right so so that's all the things that you basically need just to comply to comply legally you need hunter safety Mm -hmm. and that precludes your license really what you need to comply legally is a license Mm -hmm. you need to be licensed by the state to hunt Mm -hmm. whatever you want to hunt the uh, the hunter safety is a precondition of that. Right. You can't buy a license without hunter right. safety. So those are some things that you said they you know just set in stone type things. So the next thing we're gonna get into is kind of things you have a little bit of choice over. You know they might still involve some law. What do I need? All right. So one thing to again this is a compliance thing, but most states have a blaze orange requirement. Right. That in North Dakota, it's like... You Which is to... specifically its mm-hmm. own color and thing. Right. You can't just wear any orange. Right. It has to be blaze orange. Now, this varies state to state. Um, for instance, North Dakota, the one I'm most familiar with, you have to have headgear. So mm-hmm. a hat that is blaze orange. And then on your body, 
you you're generally speaking your torso chest area back you need to have 400 square inches of blaze orange because if you are rifle hunting you want to be seen you're right. not so worried about the deer seeing you you this is a safety fact of uh most states in some states that you only require you know the hat and this is deer specifically this we're talking is deer about specific right we're talking about right now so this is the example we're going to stick with for this particular podcast because it's the most popular okay so there is ways to do this super cheaply, which I'm going to go over, or you can spend as much as you want to get something fancier. But, but wait, Miller. <laughs> won't the deer see me? Probably. There is... Okay, so a deer. A deer is... Uh, their vision, what they're used to, you know, what they're looking for for a predator mm-hmm. is they're looking for movement. You know... One animal that I find that is just fascinating is a coyote. I've watched coyotes extensively, from my tree stand in the wild to, you know, just seeing them on the highway. And the funny part of it is, is a coyote never stops moving, ever. No. It is the, it, it's a funny, they just do not sit still for any length of time, is my uh, observation of them. So it makes sense for a deer to look for movement. So, because that coyote is always moving, it seems right. to me. So, what do you need to do as a, a good hunter is not move. Right. Even if you are in blaze orange, generally speaking, that deer is not going to see you if you're not moving. So, they do not see in the same color spectrum we are, because I know what you're getting at here with this mm-hmm. blaze orange. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, it sticks out like crazy. We meet you, we see in color. Engineered, right? it's meant to be that way. It's right. like, if, if you're entirely unfamiliar, it's like mm-hmm. that safety yellow you see on construction workers, mm-hmm. except for it sticks out even more, because it's, mm-hmm. like, orange somehow sticks out more than mm-hmm. safety yellow. Right. I put it, my hunting hats on my kid all seasons of the year so I can pick him out real fast when he's <laughs> running around being crazy. Right. So we have, that is one of the few advantages you know, we have biologically over game species, is that we see these color spectrums differently than they do. So that's why it's required for, my, for us to use blaze orange so we can see each other in the field, and it's not a detriment to... Not the mantis shrimp, but most game species. <laughs> there is exceptions, of course. So, blaze orange. So, you can buy a, just a simple vest that goes over everything else you're wearing. It's got to be on the outer level. It's like five bucks. Yeah, I was going to say, state. it will vary state to state. Mm-hmm. Um, in North, or you outlined North Dakota, Minnesota, you have to have at least a hat <coughs> and one piece of clothing that is not your sleeves or gloves mm-hmm. other than your hat that is blaze orange mm-hmm. and so a lot of folks go for the game vest mm-hmm. which and that's for deer season specifically um but that is a good bit of hunting gear that's going to be generalist um and low cost for you the barrier to entry on cost on that one is going to be pretty low like you say mm-hmm. i mean i went to fleet farm and i think i got one for 15 bucks right mm-hmm. and it's it's in case you don't know it's like a very useful thing you try to you tend to get it it comes a little bigger because you wear it on the outside of your jacket mm-hmm. it's got big pouches on the front and on the back game pouches if you're hunting small game mm-hmm. pheasants birds rabbits whatever once you have made your kill you can put them in these pouches and carry them around with you mm-hmm. it's got a lot of times elastic straps for extra rounds of ammunition for whatever gun you're using it's got there are a lot of times waterproof pouches things like that depending on how much money you want to spend 
they can have shoulder pads for your gun recoil that I don't think really do much, but it makes you feel good. Um, it's psychologically <laughs> comfortable. Yeah, um, that's about it. And depending on how much money you want to spend, you can get some that also have their blaze orange, but overlaid with black camouflage patterns for the most part. Mm-hmm. And because the other line of thinking on that is that you get this block of blaze orange, and even if mm-hmm. the animal doesn't see in the same color spectrum that you do, mm-hmm. there's going to be this they, unnaturally shaped block. They definitely pick out the shape of a human being, right? without a doubt. Mm-hmm. So the two things that you want to mm-hmm. do is be quiet and still, mm-hmm. and if you can have something that breaks up those unnatural lines against the background mm-hmm. of nature, that will help in some yeah. thought. But I have heard the number one thing is movement. Right. Just worry about being still. A word uh, on right. that, we'll get right back to yeah. you. On a word of caution on that, some states do not allow you to right. have, have that that camo. that camo orange. Yeah. Like they you need it needs to be solid block. Yeah. So like I think North Dakota is like that. Like you'll go to Shields and they won't have right. that stuff on the shelf. And I think I bought mine in Fargo, North Dakota, so that's right. probably why I didn't get right. that but that's also a universal mm-hmm. a pretty well universal piece of hunting equipment so even if you're starting out hunting deer because uh someone you work with has a place and they mm-hmm. asked you hey do you want to come out this year because you were chatting at lunch and you mm-hmm. showed some interest you can buy that game vest that solid block orange game vest and if you decide you want to get out uh, uh pheasant hunting mm-hmm. or grouse hunting you can that same game vest or you know you want to go chase rabbits or squirrels mm-hmm. that same game vest is going to be something that you can wear for all those things that if it complies for the deer regulations for blaze orange and again do your research chances are it's going to be compliant and useful for those other small game mm-hmm. uh, uh small game species as well and honestly even if my state didn't have blaze orange regulations for bird hunting, I would wear it anyway, because I like to be able to see the people that I'm hunting well, with and pick them out quickly. There's as many people that get shot on, like, bird hunting with shotguns as there is yeah. people get hunt, you know, shot with deer rifles. So, um, in North Dakota, you're actually not required to wear blaze orange while bird hunting. I, I got after a friend that I was hunting with this year, because he didn't <laughs> want to wear blaze, and I said, I want to see you when yeah, we're out there. I think it's stupid. I wear it. Yeah. You know? I am, I am not too cool to wear blaze orange while I'm bird no, hunting. Absolutely. So, and that's what a lot of people is. They, it's uh, it's a burden. It's too you know they don't mm-hmm. they think it's not necessary. They're too cool to wear it. Like all right, well, you know it's mm-hmm. it's going to be you, not me. So, yeah. And so uh, what was that's your question, another, Ross? That, that's another point I want to drive home quick. Safety first. Yeah. I joke and say safety third sometimes. <laughs> Coffee first. <laughs> um, but no, honestly, safety first. Ross, go ahead. Sorry. Oh. Sorry, I'm the, I consider myself the novice here, and so mm-hmm. when you and not an avid deer hunter by any means. Mm-hmm. So when you say, like, be quiet, so they don't hear you. Mm-hmm. Like, wear blaze orange. They're color. They they don't mm-hmm. see like we do. They won't see you. But mm-hmm. how's their sense of smell or hearing? Well, hearing said be quiet. But yeah, yeah. That, yeah. It's just something as a it novice is, I wonder about. It is so much more advanced than yourself that something like ten thousand times. Yeah. Like, and they can, the research says they can differentiate seven different scents at one time. Like, let's say you walked in this house and your wife was making cookies. That is the one and only thing you would know about. There could be some cat shit in the corner you wouldn't pick up on it. They would smell the flour and yeah. the sugar and the chocolate and the everything. And they, and they would say, hey, your cat's a little sick. 
<laughs> you know, so and it's so acute to the point yeah. where, like with bow hunting, where you have to get within a lot closer yardage to shoot mm-hmm. it. There, people get fanatical about keeping scent-free clothing, mm-hmm. and people chew pine needles so they can't smell their breath and right. stuff like that. So and with we could get deep into that yeah. with deer hunting specifically. Yeah. That's a novice, then. Is it something you need to concern yourself with? You got your blaze orange. You're being real quiet. Mm-hmm. You found a piece of land. Or sorry, I'll start at the beginning. You got your license. You got your hunter safety. You got your license. Mm-hmm. You found a place to go. You are quiet. You have blaze orange. Mm-hmm. Do you have to worry about scent? Ultimately, yes. You do have to control yourself with scent. You know, um, I am one of the ones that feel you will never completely fool a whitetail's nose with scent control. You have to, have to, have to play by the wind. Um, I will use steps, yes, to limit it, you know, because it to remove some of those particles, it might buy me that extra two seconds I need. But ultimately, if that deer is downwind to you, eventually it's going to pick you up. Yeah. Eventually it's going to pick up something, it's going to throw its head up in the air, and it's going to test it, and it, it's going to be gone. All you're going to see is that white flag of its tail. So... a a whitetail, they see well, they hear well, but they live and die by their nose. You may fool its eyes, you may fool what it's hearing, you you will not fool its nose. It trusts its nose more than anything else. And that's generally speaking the most with just all of the ungulate um, species, whether it's moose, elk, white, whitetail, mule deer... Um, the only one I'll give an exception to is pronghorn antelope. I feel that they trust their eyes more than their sense of smell because They're they have such yeah because they have such amazing binocular vision. You know, for every I was gonna commit a logical fallacy and mm-hmm. use a individual anecdotal story to <laughs> combat a population level general mm-hmm. guideline mm-hmm. <laughs> because but that's I mean right the statistics mean nothing to the individual and the individual means nothing to population level statistics right mm-hmm. so generally mm-hmm. yeah they their nose is awesome <laughs> I know plenty of people that have sat Woke up in the morning and took a shower and put deodorant on and went out to the tree stand with mm-hmm. a dip in, with a wintergreen dip in, mm-hmm. and had a monster buck walk by and Robert's your father's brother, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yes, pay attention to smell. Right. So, but to the topic of gear, yes. you know, is mm-hmm. kind of, I'm guessing. Right, 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 right. right. Um, yep. You know, you can get into this as far as you want with sense control stuff. You know, I'm kind of doing a bare minimum here, but, you know... People with money can buy all the scent control stuff, you know, but people that just want to go, anybody can use the wind, you know, because yeah. that's kind of what I'm getting to. And so. it's eventually going to make you a better hunter. Yeah. To learn how to use the wind before you spend a fortune on scent control. Here's the deal. Uh, coyote, wolf, uh, both species of bear, they stink like hell. Um, it's awful because they try to. They'll roll in shit to cover their own scent. They was, smell so bad. I was actually. And they are a better this. hunter than you are. It's that simple. I was actually talking about that with mm-hmm. uh, an ice fishing friend of mine. He mm-hmm. was out in the woods hunting mm-hmm. grouse with his son, mm-hmm. and once you smell that smell, man, they were out there on a trail in northern Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he said the wind shifted, and he was like, "We gotta go." And the kid said, what? And he said, do you smell that? And he smelled a bear. 
Yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> so I, I mentioned some writing before, and I, I'm gonna be publishing a short story book here shortly. And I write a story about a bear in Idaho where I knew it was a giant, and all of a sudden the tables turned, and it becomes a little unclear of who's hunting who. And that smell filled my nose, and I tell you what, some primal fear. You don't forget it, and you even if you've it. never heard it or smelled it, you kind of know what it is. Right. Um, so <laughs> the, it'll, it'll kick something in where you're like, <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so like we said before, we're going to try and make this as generalist, universalist, mm-hmm. DIY as you can. Mm-hmm. So you can go spend a lot of money on a lot of gear. Mm-hmm. And I know people who do, but if you try and outfit yourself mm-hmm. to be with gear that works in more situations, that's not narrow like that and gear that works more widely in more situations you're gonna give yourself more opportunities and it might be a little harder for you if you're out there stinking up a storm Mm -hmm. but if you learn how to be a good hunter and mitigate that in ways that aren't spend a bunch of money on gear it'll make you that much better of a hunter than if you do spend a bunch of money on gear and I don't want to talk down about there are some great gear companies out there that are very expensive that will have tangible effects on your success as a hunter and that usually relates to comfort more than anything. Right. If you are right, comfortable, right. you know, it's it's a lot easier right. to, you know, basically go harder, go farther. Right. To be more successful. And pay more attention to the things that you need to pay attention to, mm-hmm. like playing the wind. So we've covered, so those are compliance things. So, yeah, <laughs> we're on gear. Sorry, sorry. Okay. So now but we need to move on. compliance gear, blaze orange. Compliance gear. So kind of our, you know... Uh, last minimum requirement is you're going to need a weapon of some sort uh so you know the vast vast majority of um, all animals taken um worldwide is with a firearm of some sort and generally speaking rifles rifles um expect big game animals there's you know there's undoubtedly more doves taken in the united states than there is deer but you know that's done with the shotgun so we're going to stick for our example a deer and you're going to need a rifle so there's a couple different ways um you can go about this you know so a rifle it's a to explain it, I guess, if, if you have absolutely no knowledge on a rifle is a long gun, you have a, with a barrel, a long gun and you is, hold it to your shoulder, yeah. rather than something that you're going to hold with two arms on it, like you see in the movies. It's not a handgun. Yeah, and it's a it's, long gun. And there's distinctly different type of ca- cartridge that you use to fire. So, um, and it's going to be a... specifically have riflings. Right. You're going to have, a, and it's, it's going to be a cartridge, you know, your bullet that is designed for... Uh, a longer it's going to be a longer bullet and it's designed for a longer shot if mm-hmm. can't, if I can't explain that any simpler I guess and your hunter safety class that you took to get mm-hmm. your license will explain this in a way to you that's yes uh, sufficient for you to have the knowledge you need to make mm-hmm. the decisions you need to mm-hmm. to some extent to get what you need legally for your area right so most states have a minimum caliber requirement. Hmm. So, for instance, in North Dakota, it has to be a 22 caliber 
or larger center fire, which means it's fired by a primer in the back of the bullet rather than a rim fire, which is the primer built around the outside of the bullet. I can't use a rim fire twenty two to hunt deer in North Dakota. No. That's kind of a silly proposition to not, do anyway. Not legally. So where maybe you, you can I don't really know if I use the word silly, but yeah. that's a there's a reason I've never heard of somebody doing that before. Yeah. You can really, really get into the weeds of caliber stuff. You know, if you want to either blow your mind or numb your mind, you can go on to websites like Sniper's Hide or something like that, and they will debate with you till kingdom come about calibers and which one's best or, or what have you. you know, and get to talking ballistics coefficients and yeah, grain weights yeah. and all that stuff. And it becomes maddening. Like it's it's another science altogether, another language, and it becomes it gets to a point, you know, it's an where entire division of physics. Yeah. <laughs> where ballistics. Where they can talk about and it you're not killing anything deader, quite frankly. <laughs> You know, there are so, some real world consequences. Yeah, but that's some jobs in particulars that yeah. we'll get into eventually. Yeah. So for uh, you know, for a deer sized animal, <laughs> you could yeah. make you could make the argument that one gun's going to kill something deader than another gun. <laughs> to be honest, it it becomes it becomes nuts. And there's there's so there, I mean there's research for days on this. Yeah. But you know, at one time more deer had been taken with a thirty thirty. Lever action rifle, more deer have been taken with that, and it might still be true in the United States than any other rifle. And right now, the thirty thirty is kind of scoffed at as kind of a, the mm-hmm. slow dumb idiot of the rifle <laughs> of the rifle right. world. Even though it's still, it's not any more or less functional, deadly than it used to than it right. ever has been. Right. It still works. A lot of people still use it. It's just there's now. Better tools for the job. And there are trends that Mm -hmm. go in this world Mm -hmm. that are as much of a social preference as anything else. You know, like in the handgun world, like they go, they move and go with the wind. Yeah. (laughs) So. I would not get into Don't get hung up on it. Don't get hung up on it. Just starting. Because quite frankly, most deer that you know you're gonna have they're they're gonna be at a hundred yards or less. Right. You do not need the newest six point five Creedmoor Ackley improved rifle to do it. Well, that's a hell of a rifle. <laughs> I don't even know if that exists. I do not care. It's that that ridiculous to me, you know. So uh, if I'm going deer hunting, I'm generally going with just something simple. Uh, you know, I shoot a two seventy. A two seventy. Because I'm in the woods in Minnesota, yeah. and I'm if I see a hundred yard shot that I can mm-hmm. make, it's a long shot through the woods that I probably shouldn't take anyway at a hundred yeah. yards. So there's a I lot shoot of two seventy, yeah. and it's not mm-hmm. it's not it's more than enough gun. Yeah. The rule of thumb is shoot a caliber big enough to where you can shoot it comfortably without having flinch from the recoil. And that you can put an accurate round down range. If right. that's for some people, if that's a three hundred, you know, which has mm-hmm. some kick, so it be does. it. If there's people that's a two seventy, you know, that's fine. That's that's a great deer caliber. That's that's a great elk caliber. Mm-hmm. You know, there's guys that have, there's been grizzly bear taking and taken in Alaska with a two seventy. It's about bullet placement. And if it's a two forty three, there's no, that is kind of on the lower end of what people will say, and you'll catch a lot of 
people giving hell on, online of people using a 243 to deer hunt, it's more than enough. Right. You know, for as long as you can put that bullet in the right place. One bullet in the right place is worth 10 bullets of a much larger caliber put in the wrong place. Right. So shoot as big a rifle as you can comfortably handle. And that's all you really need to know about it. It's going to tailor to your environment a little bit too. Oh, certainly. Right? Like if I was in... If I was a Wyoming hunter mm-hmm. that's going up into the mountains looking for muleys or elks, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if a 270, depending on the range of the shot, would mm-hmm. do the job for me. Or if I was trying to, depending, and we're using the deer example here, but mm-hmm. another great resource to go to is all those same resources that you had before, this community that you're starting to build here of people that are in the same space. Mm-hmm. Because, like we said... You ask somebody, hey, what's your opinion on what kind of rifle I should shoot in my area? You're going to get an earful about it, and you're going to get more information that's, than you, you want to start thought. a fight online? Because that's how you're going to start a fight online. Well, <laughs> but if you're, again, sitting around having a tabletop conversation with mm-hmm. people about this, and you say, you know, hey, I'm in this area, and, you know, maybe I was listening to these two dudes in uh, North Dakota talking about calibers and they said a 270 is fine for an elk maybe the guy that actually goes out to that area that lives in that area mm-hmm. you're going to get differing opinions but mm-hmm. you know the guys who are out there and in that or have some experience pick someone that you trust that's you has led you not in a weird direction mm-hmm. up until now and have the conversation and, and, and there okay yes there is some you know circumstances to that uh, you know, flat out, an, a wild animal is tougher than you are. Yeah. So, That's why you need a gun. You know, so, you know, yeah, there will be guys that say a 270 is too small for elk. And I will tell you right now, an elk is a damned tough animal. Mm-hmm. And if you can shoot a big caliber, you know, a bigger caliber, something that starts with a three, yes, mm-hmm. go for it. But I, again, I'd, I'd so much rather have a, two, a well-placed 130 grain, 270 uh, mm-hmm. caliber bullet put through you know the boiler room which is the slang for the heart on a on an elk right then i would be somebody that's out there with a 375 h and put one in the ass right you know right well so, yeah i mean it's gonna make you a better hunter again like we said with the sack right. free stuff if you can when you, in doubt close the distance don't right. up the caliber there you go because that's going to make you a better hunter to get closer to it mm-hmm. and be patient enough and calm enough and smart enough to make a shot in the boiler room with that smaller caliber rather than Mm -hmm. being up on a knob a half a mile away giving it the old texas heart shot with a big old Mm -hmm. with a big old caliber weapon that you're not comfortable with right you know so that rifle there's a couple different ways you can go about this yeah where do i get it you, I don't know anything about guns. I don't have guns. I'm just getting started. Okay. I got my license. I got my vest. I got my hat. This gun thing is a little bit intimidating to me. Absolutely. And I, I don't blame you. If you were... And you, if you were... Not me personally. I'm hypothesizing. I know. It. And it's... I made up a word. If you're not comfortable with guns, you know, you can get into archery. You know, it's another discussion. It's uh, a lot more of a commitment. It's a lot more of a commitment. Right. And so, it's more expensive. But... Depending on... It can be. Don't, I, at least for your first one, you know, until you understand the laws a little bit better, go to a reputable dealer and... Go to buy, a gun shop. Go to a gun shop. Or and a range. Yeah. And explain to them what you 
are you know what your purpose are what you're going to do and they will help you pick out a rifle they'll help you know if you're left you know your hunter safety will probably let you help you know if you're left-handed or right-handed dominant there can be some intimidation with cost on a rifle but i want you to know this is an investment and it can be a one-time cost so the more you use it the cheaper it gets basically so, and it's not only an investment for you, it could be an investment for your children or grandchildren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're solid machines. If you mm-hmm. take care of them, they will last forever. Right. So They're like, rifles from the Revolutionary War that still shoot. Right. So on like the bottom end of like a scoped rifle right now, and there's like the rifle manufacturers are in a competition right now to make the cheapest most accurate rifle possible because they're trying to hit these price points. And right now, you can get a scoped rifle package in a deer caliber from like 243, 270, 308, whatever. And you can find those for like 350 bucks brand new out the door. That's not and, bad. And that... That's it, not bad. And, you know, and that will service most people, you know, I mean, and not just like most, I mean, just about everyone for most practical hunting situations for literally 350 bucks right okay we've talked about this before i mm-hmm. shoot a 270 to mm-hmm. shoot deer mm-hmm. we're planning this black bear hunt mm-hmm. and i you said oh i get to buy a new gun because you like guns and <laughs> i said you know oh i better too but because i want to buy guns but mm-hmm. that 270 is It'll... i don't need a different gun no I might not. I might just use my 300 because yeah, the but, area that I'm looking at, you know, that after I did a little more research, it might be a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as much as I want the idea of a lever action that starts with a four, I might not need it. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. We'll get, we'll get into that later because we're going right. to, when we get to that hunt, we're going to discuss that yeah. in great detail. But so. the point is, there's a lot of people out there that buy a lot of guns and mm-hmm. specifically will buy different guns for different hunts specifically mm-hmm. but there's a lot more universal usage to some of these than a lot of the uh again i i guess i told you to talk to people that you know and you're going to get varying opinions but mm-hmm. a lot of these calibers and gun types are a lot more universal than a lot of people use them for right and that's because people like to buy guns yeah yeah <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> yeah so i mean so that's where we're at now you and you said you now there's going to be laws exactly for buying a right. firearm from a dealer. The dealer is going to have what's called a federal firearms license, and that enables them to legally transfer you a firearm. When you go there, you're going to fill out a couple of forms. You're going to get in this. Some states have more, but this is kind of a bare minimum. And they're going to phone your information into the NICS. I can't remember what it stands for. It's like National Institute of Crime. Something, uh, the, right? the database. The to database, make sure you're right. not a felon, right? Right, to make sure you're not a felon. I'm so, and if you are a felon, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. You're not allowed to buy a firearm. You know, that's that's just the way it is. Get into bow hunting. Yeah, you're going to be getting into bow hunting. So, And they're going to cross-reference your information to that. In some states, there's going to be a waiting period. In other states, once they get you in, they you know, they get... You through that database, you, you know, you walk out with your firearm, you know, and that's going to vary state to state. Mm-hmm. So that's where, yeah, you know, they'll mount the scope for you there. At least they should. If there's any sort of customer service <laughs> <laughs> and make sure that's square. So do I need a scope? You don't necessarily see, need a scope. In fact, if it might 
pay dividends to you to learn how to shoot to begin with without a scope with a rifle that has an iron sight or open or, sights or open sights or you know and iron that is how is same thing. I learned to shoot you know that's how I learned to shoot as well you know, on a rimfire 22 at Boy Scout camp yeah, actually that's how most people learn how to shoot so there is an even cheaper option to that rifle package I just talked to what is referred to as the Mosin Nagant which is a Russian military rifle that they use like World War II and earlier is the most was the most manufactured rifle of all time. And so they're like twelve bucks a piece, huh? Uh, you used up till a couple of years ago, you could find them less than a hundred bucks. Nice. You can go to Fleet Farm, Minnesota. You still have to pass that that mm-hmm. Nick's check. I know you still got to go through an FFL. And it shoots, oh, it's it's a little bit different caliber because it's in metric, so it's a 7.62. Those crazy brushes. Yeah, you know, they use the metric system like 99% of the world. Those guys, I don't know what they're thinking. Instead of using not even fractions of an inch, but we use 0.33 of an inch because, you know, that makes sense. Instead <laughs> of, you know, three quarters of an inch or whatever. So anyway. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the metric system versus Canon? <laughs> So anyway, you can find you can still find that rifle. You yeah. know, some of them are a little shot out, some are better than others. Mm-hmm. But they're all going to be able to put a bullet within the vitals of a deer at a hundred yards or what have you. And we're just going to use that as an arbitrary number. Right. So the point and is, you can find that for less than two hundred bucks. And if you want to, you can even add a scope onto it later. But right. at the time when the one comes off the shelf, it's coming with the. <laughs> it's still packaged with Russian grease. You're gonna have to clean it up a bit. There, there you, you can find them for less than two hundred bucks, and they shoot the most common ammo in the world. That's with the most common rifle with in the, the world. The most common rifle in the world. <laughs> you know, so it's a great gun for the zombie apocalypse as well. Yeah, you'll find except, them everywhere. You'll except, find a replacement if you yeah, Except that it's really heavy. But yeah. that is an option if you're looking to cut costs, because they're the biggest one of the biggest hurdles of people that want to get into hunting is they say it's too expensive to start. Right. And that you know if if and that is one way you could go about it. So. So that's kind of what I was gonna say. We're getting to the overall point here is that there's. Uh, 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 cost is one of the mm-hmm. bigger things, and probably the most expensive single piece of gear you're going to buy for hunting itself is your gun. Right. But even that doesn't have to be earth-shatteringly expensive. Nope. And, you know, like I I said, to talk to people that you know, and that's more crowdsourcing data, really, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of opinions out there that you have to spend a lot of money on a lot of things, and especially people that have been doing this for a while will be at a point or maybe have thought since the beginning, probably not entirely accurately, that the more money you spend, the better you're off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. But you can do this in a way that isn't mm-hmm. disruptively expensive. And so we've got licenses. Hunter safety is free or it, well, for a nominal yeah. fee, depending on yeah. your state. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's free in every state. but I'm sure there are some states where it is. But it's for a nominal fee that's not going to mm-hmm. change your life. Um, uh License, like you were saying in North or in Minnesota, a over-the-counter deer license, depending on the section, is forty bucks as a resident. You can get your Blaze Orange mm-hmm. for as little as ten. As little as ten bucks, you can get. You can go to Cabela's or whatever, uh, uh, 
Fleet Farm or Menards or a <laughs> hardware store or gas stations right. in your area that will sell, that coming up on deer season opener, that will sell blaze orange beanies for like a couple of bucks. Right. So you can get that stuff pretty cheap and then you're coming to your gun and even that doesn't have to be devastatingly expensive. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, on keeping with the theme of going to the people and the places that know the most about what you're trying to do here with uh, meeting people in your hunter safety class, discussing with your state wildlife management agency, discussing with the people who have taught your classes, getting involved in uh, civilian organizations in that, in the space. Um, I said, walk, we said walk into a gun shop, which to people who don't have guns could be kind of intimidating, but I'll tell you right now too, a lot of them have ranges in them Mm -hmm. and they will be your best asset. If you walk into a gun shop and say, at least any gun shop worth their salt and say, I don't own any guns and I want to buy one. Can you help me learn what I'm even doing here? They're going to jump. Lunch. <laughs> they're going to jump over the counter and become your best friend. Mm-hmm. And you can walk in there at any time. And I mean, maybe not that enthusiastically, but they will be very happy to help you because those mm-hmm. people have built their life around caring about this. And they're going to want you to understand before you walk out that you are, and you are right. comfortable with that firearm by the time you leave. Nobody understands that more than the people that work in the gun store. Mm-hmm. And then you can build relationships with those people there too. So if you do start to expand your mm-hmm. uh, desire for more knowledge or new, uh, new different calibers for different hunting situations or get into other different aspects of the firearm world, then you can have those built-in people that you already trust and have helped you uh, navigate that world already that mm-hmm. are a wealth of knowledge and are themselves walking internets of knowledge, again, mm-hmm. at a gun shop that's worth their salt. And then, last bit on guns for me, is the best thing you can do to help yourself with that is just practice. That's my next one. So, boxes of bullets for, let's say, that rifle, you know, the $350 package. They'll generally come mm-hmm. in boxes of 20 bullets. Yeah. And you can figure most calibers right around a buck a bullet and start to creep up a little bit just because yeah. of cost materials. Yeah. So, get yourself two boxes of bullets. That first box... You go to the range, you're going to sight in, I want you to go through that whole box. And if you don't know what we mean by that, the people at the range will help you. Yeah. Basically, because you should. need to get comfortable with that rifle, mm-hmm. you know, to where you can shoot. And that's a bare minimum. You should probably shoot a whole bunch more, you know. Especially but, if you're new to firearms right. and shooting in general. Make it a habit. Right. But if Once you, a month, every couple of weeks, make a range night. A lot of ranges have... Mm-hmm. have theme nights they have ladies nights they mm-hmm. have you know uh they have leagues and sports shooting nights mm-hmm. where you the the best thing you can do for yourself if you're going to be a gun hunter is get comfortable shooting that gun mm-hmm. yeah because it's it'll mean something later but between a clean kill and a, and a lousy kill it'll make you feel awful use that first box of bullets for practice second box of bullets you're going to take out hunting with you Okay, so you're about 40 bucks into that if we're going to say 20 bucks per box of bullets. Yeah. Okay? So, last thing that I say is a bare, bare minimum just because um, most kitchen knives don't come with sheaths, so it's really yeah. tough to bring on the hunt. If you down a deer, you are going to need a knife in the field. Yeah. So, 
And I recommend this to everybody. This is the same price. There is knives that are 100 bucks a piece that are, you know, you can get knives of Alaska, you can get buck knives, you whatever. I use $11 knife. It was $7 when I bought it. It's from Opinel. It's a French company. I know that's heresy. But these I just ordered one of those. These knives are awesome. I broke Beechwood handle one. Beechwood handle. It's sixteen bucks on Amazon yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, you can find them on their site. They're eleven bucks. There's probably some shipping. Amazon probably had free shipping. Yeah. But honestly, I've broken down an entire elk with these. I break down deer with them all the time. They are just awesome knives. For and for the yeah for the price I you cannot beat them. So, like, I recommend them to everyone. You know, you can get a super expensive knife of Alaska. It's 80 bucks a piece. You're going to lose it in the woods just as fast as you're going to lose that open up. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're going to be out 80 bucks instead of 15 or right. 11. So, I've got my um, Gerber in my pocket. Yeah. I broke down my whole deer with this yeah. thing. This you're year. going to need to break down that deer in the woods, even if it's as simple as just gutting it out and and dragging the rest out. But, you know, um, just because, you generally speaking, for ease... For having to, you know, there's going to be some waste, you know, bones or what have you that you're going to have to dispose of. The less you have to dispose of, the better. You leave a gut pile out in the woods, um, you know. Which don't you should keep, keep a lot of, there, There's honest. things you can keep, you know, but, you know, that will go to use in some way or another. The scavengers are going to pick at it. It's going to get broken down. You know, you don't have to feel bad about leaving a gut pile in the woods. No. So, um... You know, it, there is wanton waste laws, you know, that some places even require you to take the liver out, what have you. Liver, heart, kidneys. Yeah. Uh, the, of the liver, heart. intact. Yeah. Of the liver, heart, kidneys, the only thing that I will eat is uh, the heart. I, the, yeah. You said you don't like filters. I, yeah. The kidneys and the liver are filters, and I don't eat filters. Um, I, I cannot imagine any way that a kidney doesn't taste like anything but piss because that's what it, cause that's what it filters. <laughs> so I think I could point you to some people that would disagree with you, but to I just, their own. Like I just couldn't get past There are plenty that. of varying opinions on things out in the world out there and it depends on who you talk to. But, We're going to have to crowdsource some data on this. But de- I will never ever leave a deer heart in the woods. Oh, it's again, delicious. And la- yeah, and last fall I actually scavenged other gut piles before the coyotes mm-hmm. get to them and took the hearts out of other people's gut piles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, again, that's another compliance thing that you, with wanton waste laws, you'll have to look in that state by state of what right. has to come out of the field with you. So, right. and there might even be, if you break the animal down, there might even be rules of what has to come out first. So right. again, things that you need to look into. Every state is going to require that you bring the meat out. You know, you might be able, you can probably leave bones there, you know. Uh, you know, and there's some states like they actually don't if you shoot a trophy animal, they don't care if you leave the head out there. Some states, Minnesota, you're also going to be required to register your big right. game animal. You, and or some places actually have check stations. You'll go right. in and the game warden will physically look at the animal and assign you that number. And we can get into this further. Some mm-hmm. states like in my section this year was a mandatory CWD testing area. So beyond that, mm-hmm. I had to take my carcass in or at least the head with the glands to mm-hmm. have them removed for CWD testing. So all, all stuff depending, it can get down to unit specific what you need to do. So this has kind of been like, this is the absolute bare minimum. For things that you need. So let's yeah. go over it again. Oh, I'm going to get to you. Okay. Okay, so... We can go on a 
thousand different directions of all the nuances and what have you. We could if have money you can spend if you want to. We could have hours of conversation right. on each one of these points. So this, you know, I generally break down my own deer from beginning to end. I don't take it into a process plant that saves me money. I know the product I'm getting. I get to cut my steaks, my roasts exactly as I want them. I don't do a lot of grind meat because my wife doesn't like the texture of ground meat. You know, but I find it to be a lot yeah. more fulfilling as part of the process, and I've talked about my opinions really on is. that in the right. past as well. So. This is the bare minimum. Now, from what we've talked about today, I said I get it under five hundred bucks. Yeah. I did the math. I'm at four hundred and seventy dollars initial start. Okay. Okay. So hold, hold on. So you got of it. that four hundred and seventy dollars. Let's say you shot a deer and you got fifty pounds of meat off of it. About Which that is four, not uncommon. Not uncommon. So that first year, if for people that are saying it's too expensive to go, that averages out to about nine bucks a pound for meat. That's can be a bit on the expensive side. Here's the second year. That second year you shoot a deer, you're at about a buck a pound. That's why I think states keep licenses so cheap. Because mm-hmm. I know of people in areas where taking wild game is a huge part of the way that they subsist, not by choice necessarily. Even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is... You know, the factions of people in, you know, even in the lower 48 that, you know, in Alaska is an entirely different thing where there's still people that subsist completely off of foraged and wild, or foraged food and wild game. But even in the lower lower 48, there's still places that, you know, they're... There are families where if everybody in that family Mm -hmm. doesn't fill their tag that year, they're Mm -hmm. starting to get a little worried. Yeah, they're starting to get a little, they got to take another notch in the belt. Yep. So, so there are a few things that are not entirely required, but I would say incidental. You can be successful without them, mm-hmm. but there are a few things. If you're going to spend money on a few things, two things, to go hunting and be outdoors in general, and it might even be life in general, boots. Yeah. Bad boots will ruin, or bad footwear will ruin your time faster than almost anything else I can think of. But again, if you're keeping it local and in within your state, you know, a decent pair of hiking boots and depending on the climate in your area that has some good insulation is going to take you literally miles further than anywhere else and keep yourself comfortable. Um, there's all sorts of different gear that you can buy as far as jackets and camo and pants and mm-hmm. coveralls and everything. Mm-hmm. And that is up to your discretion yeah, every... And it can be intimidating at some price points because you walk into a store and all the most expensive, nicest, most scent lock stuff is going to be up front and it's going to have price tags in the hundreds on it. And they do that for a reason. And I'm not saying that that's not good gear. I'm not saying that that's not going to be something that will give you tangibly contribute to success. But for somebody that's trying to do this in a do-it-yourself type of way, get some good boots. The camo doesn't hurt. If you can buy, I also am a big evangelist of this, if you can buy wool gear, it might be a little itchier, but it's it insulates you when it's wet and it doesn't hold on to stink as bad as other mm-hmm. other cloths do. Cotton, just with my background in outdoorsmanship, cotton kills when mm-hmm. it gets wet. And this will all go over in your hunter safety class, or it should, but just as some guidelines, right. you know, 
I mean, going out in jeans and a hoodie, I know plenty of people that go out in jeans and a hoodie, and that depends on their situation. But if you're going to go for a hike, make sure you're prepared for a hike in the same way that you would if you weren't carrying a gun with a tag. Right. And, you know, that depends on the lifestyle that you have going into this too, but there are other incidentals of gear that you might want to look into, mm-hmm. and that will be at your right. own discretion. Right. Everything that I kind of went over, that's a bare minimum. Right. After that, it's all about how much comfort and ease are you willing to spend? Right. You know, so, and you know, I've used things like you mentioned wool, mm-hmm. you know, I use a set of Italian Navy deck pants. Mm-hmm. There's basically a set of wool coveralls. I mm-hmm. bought in fleet farm, Minnesota. I think it was Alexandria a few years ago. They were 15 bucks. Right. I still have them. I still use them. Right. And they're for their for their price mm-hmm. and how warm they are for what they are. You can't beat that, right. you know. And if you were somewhere in northern climate, you know, you should have something like that anyway to throw in your vehicle when you're right. You know, so make it dual purpose. Make it, you know, this is throwing my vehicle when I'm traveling. You know, so mm-hmm. you know, like throw that on, dig my car out of the snow, right? You know, what have you. So you know, it, there's ways to mitigate the prices. Absolutely. You know, be a smart shopper, Do buy dual-purpose stuff. You buy know, things that you, you can use. And a lot of the things that you already have, you probably can use. You just right. don't have yeah. thought of it that way. Right. You know, you just got to be comfortable with getting a little blood on them. So I think we can kind of start wrapping this one up. Right, um, yeah, as always. If you have questions, you know, we're, we're very welcome to happy, or We want you to ask questions. We want to help, so... Uh, I forgot to mention last time, feel free to reach out to us. It's the, the new Venivores at Gmail. Drop us an email. V-E-N-I-V-O-R-E-S. Yeah. Or you can find me on Instagram at Deshane Adam, D-E-S-C-H-A-I-N-A-D-A-M. So. On Instagram and, and uh, the new Venivores on Instagram, Facebook, and the new Venivores at gmail.com. Right. And hopefully we'll have the website up soon. The website, thenewvenivores.com. <laughs> And as always, educate yourself, get a bunch of practice. Like we said before, state state game and fish agencies, wildlife management agencies, get involved in new hunter programs. Use Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, the Wild Turkey Federation. There's plenty of resources out there. Just Google new hunter programs and get yourself involved out there so you can start building this network that we've talked about of like-minded individuals that are have your best interest in mind and the best interest of furthering hunting and conservation in the place where you live. Sharpen your teeth, dig deep. Cubicles and little flaming piles And we were running